Hi there, folks. Zach here, your resident ABM. I am just giving you a quick warning. If you don't already know, I'm a foul mouth SOB. I cuss quite a bit, um, especially when I'm fired up or angry. And as you know, this is the Angry Black Man podcast. I'm not always angry, but I probably do always cuss. I would feel bad for it. It just doesn't work. It's kind of the way I am. However, I would like to say this. Mama, if you're listening, I apologize. The rest of you have to get used to it. I cuss. Be prepared. If you don't want somebody to hear me cussing, um, don't let them hear you playing this podcast. Thanks and enjoy. Hello, all you citizens of the ABM Nation, and welcome to the ABM Podcast. This is Zach, your resident angry black man, and though I sometimes be angry, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to share a little bit of something with you all, and I'm doing this for a reason. There's a point to this um, at the end, but uh, this is sort of not really a confession because it isn't me owning up to something wrong that I've done. It's just telling a little bit about myself, so... Uh, a little bit of information about me. I am a person who um, identifies as non-monogamous. Now, I will go through much more in depth what that means later, but um, just know that I, I consider myself non-monogamous or what they sometimes call polyamorous, and we can get into various iterations about that some other time. Something else you may not know about me is that um, I teach. I'm an educator. Uh, for the last several years, and I'd say for the last maybe five, six, maybe almost seven years, um, I've been very interested in the topic of consent um, and just consent in general of between human beings, consent whether it be um, types of relationships you're in, uh, interactions with another person, whether it be uh, sexual consent, things like that. It started off as something that was just interesting to me. Um, this this idea of where does it come from? You know, how how is it defined? How do we agree on it? Um, I think many of us can kind of um, identify something that we would consider a consent violation and whatnot. Uh, but the the actual sort of narrowing down this thing, this phenomena that we call consent, becomes something interesting to me. And if you know anything about me, when I'm interested in something or curious, I'm a geek. I start kind of studying it and looking into it, which I did. Um, what happened though is, and I might tell the story another time, um, I had a couple of interactions, uh, experiences with dealing with other people where I saw some really horrible, um, views and ideas and practices, uh, with regards to consent, just the way people thought of consent when dealing with other people, uh, to the point that it pissed me off. And again, if you know anything about me, you know that the way to motivate me to do something is to piss me off because I just get fired up. My passion comes out of nowhere. I got pissed off and created this podcast, for example, hence the Angry Black Man podcast. Um, I needed a place to rant, and here I have it right here on this wonderful uh, uh, platform known as Anchor.fm. So anyway, I had um, had some interactions. I had been studying consent just for my own sort of personal edification and saw that in general, people think they understand consent, but they really don't. And some of the 
thoughts, practices, and ideas that I saw being discussed around consent made me extremely angry, so mad, to the point where I couldn't just be a nerd or a geek and just research it to gather information for myself. It motivated me to uh, being more of an, a, an activist and more of an educator. So not only can I, did I decide to keep on researching and getting deeper into it, but I decided to start sharing the information that I found with other people. Um, and it really kind of morphed into this, I wouldn't call it a crusade, but just sort of a personal, you know, thing that I've dedicated myself to, which is teaching and helping other people understand consent. Now I want to pause for a minute and ask you all a rhetorical question. Um, those of you here in the ABM Nation who are listening to me right now, just think in your mind what you know about consent. What in your mind represents consent? Uh, has your consent ever been violated? Chances are, and I know this from experience, that they, it has at least once. And if not, I bet you I could explain some ways that it probably has. Um, number two, when or where did you get the information you have about consent? In other words, where did you learn what you come to know now as consent? More importantly, maybe as a corollary to that, have you ever sat and had formal education on consent, on the topic of consent, consent with interactions and things? Again, my uh, anecdotal experience and a little bit of research I've done tells me probably not. Um, if you Google consent and education, you're more likely to find uh, websites that will basically tell you what states in the U.S. Uh, require parental consent before teaching sex education. But um, and we can some other time I'll rant about the woeful <laughs> and I do mean woeful example of what we call sex education in this country right now. It's actually really a joke. But most sex, uh, most sex education um, rarely discusses pleasure. Uh, it's usually, you know, um, abstinence plus or abstinence only or some other uh, ridiculous and, you know, wholly inadequate form of propaganda. Um, but yeah, rarely is consent mentioned um, as a part of any sort of sexual education. Rarely is consent education occur. We're just expected to kind of know or not know. Um, and it's very rare for people to sit down and have a conversation about consent. When I first started teaching about it, after I really got into it, uh, researching it and wanting to teach it, it was a hustle. It was a grind. It was extremely hard to get people to sit down and listen to me talk to them about consent for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, most people, particularly most adults, think they know it all, um, which is Anybody who's ever been an educator, that is just inherently frustrating, where people think they know everything, uh, particularly know about something that's important, you know. But again, those of you who, you know, were playing along at home, when I just ask, have you ever had any formal education on consent? If you can't answer absolutely yes and remember exactly who it was that taught you that formal education on consent and what their credentials are, then the chances are you probably don't know as much about consent as you think you do. And yet, Literally for about the better part of 18 months to two years, I struggled trying to get people to listen to me talk about consent. So many people think they know about it, um, which is a shame because assuming you know about consent and not knowing it, which is usually the case, tends to lead to um, uh, dangers. You know, people may end up violating consent without realizing it or um, don't think it's a big deal. I get a lot of that. You know, what's the big deal? Or 
um, will just say some really terribly problematic things like, you know, sure, I want to respect consent, but, you know, where's the fun in that? Things like that. Uh, and if you're laughing right now, don't. I'm serious. I've heard that. Uh, but yeah, I am a consent educator. Um, so it's something that I've kind of become known for. Um, and to the point where I started teaching it in around a couple places here in Houston, uh, ended up teaching it in uh, Austin a few times and traveling around the state. And then the next thing I know, I'm being invited to travel uh, across the country to teach uh, my model of consent, the, the, the model and the workshop that I developed, uh, which is entitled The Five Pillars of Consent. Copyright pending, by the way, so don't steal it. Um, but yeah, so my model of consent is based on what I call five pillars that are very, very useful. They're very practical, and they help people understand so many modicums of consent uh, based on the fact that I believe, and in fact, I know that every single human interaction involves uh, a consent component. Every single one, including the one you and I are engaged in right now. Um, so yeah, there's uh, I have kind of become known traveling uh, across the country in various circles. Circles that I will call um, sex positive. I te teach at uh, conferences where people are non-monogamous. I teach at conferences where people are sex positive or where they may be kinky. And uh, you know, consent isn't the only topic I teach about. I teach about consent, uh, consent and kink, consent kink and the law. I also teach a self-care workshop and recently have been talking more about um, consent with regards to interactions that involve uh, what we would you might term like race relations or uh, anti-racism in a sense, this understanding that um, there needs to be consent understandings before you start randomly talking to people about various consent aspects. So um, all of this to say in the last you know few minutes, almost ten minutes of me talking, to say that I have become uh, a bit of an educator and have gotten known for it. And it's something that I love and something I want to continue doing for the rest of my life. And it's one of the reasons that um, I kind of got into going back to school to get a degree in social work is because I want to be an educator, but an activist educator. I sometimes tell people that I'm in grad school training to become a radical activist, but I want to be an educator of other social workers. So a master's is not where I'm going to stop. Um, and I also want to educate the world because it's a challenge. Uh, again, to teach a topic that people don't think is interesting. Uh, it's really hard. I mean, some of the circles I run in, it might be a little bit easier to get people in the polyamorous or non-monogamous uh, community or the kink community to understand it because they look at consent a little bit differently. These are folks that have to have various conversations around consent and boundaries way more often than your standard um what I would call muggle <laughs> or somebody who isn't a part of those um, worlds would, would, would teach it, but, um, or, or would, would interact with uh, consent or whether it would come up as much. So much of the interactions we have as adults, particularly in this society, there are various consent components that are uh, assumed or implied, which is a problem because implied consent means that it's not expressed and expressed consent can be dangerous. Uh, so that's something that um, I think about and worry about um, and that I do, uh, again, try to educate around and talk to people about that. That could be a problem when you're um, just assuming certain 
aspects of consent without having the conversation. Because the problem where consent violations come up is oftentimes there are misunderstandings. Now, not always. There are people out there who are just assholes <laughs> who just go out. They're you know purely sociopathic. They have absolutely no empathy whatsoever and are just bound and determined to manipulate people and violate the consent to get what they want. But not the case for everybody. Many people just don't realize that what they're doing is probably not what somebody wants. Um, and yeah, so I've become, I'm not going to call myself an expert, although the argument can be made. Technically, expert just means you know more about a particular topic than the average person. And I would um, venture to guess that I have researched the topic of consent probably a little bit more than the average person. Not everybody, but maybe the average person. You know, again, how much have you just sat down and really looked into what is this thing called consent? You know, how many quote unquote experts or people have you uh, interacted with or consulted with? You know, I've talked to attorneys. I've talked to therapists. I've talked to psychologists. I've talked to doctors. Um, I've talked to people about, uh, you know, what constitutes consent insofar as a contract, what constitutes consent insofar as a verbal agreement. Um, you know, I, and I've, I've had conversations with uh, you know, people who are, you know, doctorates in education, people who um, are doctorates of psychology, people who are um, doctorates of, um, of sexual intimacy, intimacy or, or, or not even doctorates, but who are just sex therapists. I've talked to a lot of people and, and really done the research and kind of um, looked into this stuff. And that's how I built my model out of it. Um, anyway, all that me talking about myself, I know it probably sounds a little arrogant, but this after all is my podcast and I'm the only one here talking, is to let you know that I have become an educator and I've traveled in various circles where various educators exist. Um, it's a fabulous community of people, you know, all walks of life, um, very, very diverse, I would say, um, you know, give or take. There are, are some challenges and I'm going to get to that here in a minute, but I've come to... Um, be counted among these people who are considered these sex positive or rather sex educators. It's not all about sex, but for me, um, I have one learned a lot from this community, uh, people who have fantastic things that they teach as far as non-monogamy, um, sexuality, sexual interaction, um, sexual health, uh, and navigating things like, you know, mental health difficulties and, and having conversations and actively communicating and building relationships and different types of relationships because, you know, we as people who are either non-monogamous or kinkier or who move in those worlds do have various types of relationships that, again, what I refer to as the muggle world or most people may or may not understand fully and may not practice. And so it's kind of hard to have conversations where um, people are understanding what we're saying. Um, that's why I like interacting with folks who are also in that community with me. I'm not the most social person, but when I socialize, I do tend to like to socialize with people who understand where I'm coming from and some of the things I've been through. Not to say that nobody else can, but it's just harder. I mean, it's easier to have conversations with people who are understanding the conversation you're having rather than to try to talk about my relationships with somebody who isn't uh, non-monogamous and have them say, well, why don't you just go back to being normal or something like that? Um, it does sort of work out better and behoove one if you're able to just talk to somebody who kind of gets it almost intrinsically. Uh, so anyway, I found myself teaching in this, this world, this space that is um, made up of sex educators um, and, you know, um, 
some of them are sex therapists, some of them are just activists, um, some of them are counselors and whatnot. And it's be, it, I found it to be this wonderful, interesting <clears throat> um, group of people. It's really a community um, of you know folks who are just sex positive and who have these conversations and maybe teach something that might be unconventional but is important and is necessary. And they don't all teach the same things that I teach. There's all kinds of things and, and intersections uh, too. There's uh, intersections with race, with um, mental health, with uh, neurodiversity, you know, neurodivergent people who have some sort of mental health challenge or issue. Uh, I am one of those people. Um, and it, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. You know, the last, I'd say, probably three and a half, four years that I've really been involved with this community and found it to be mine. I really found a home there and met a lot of wonderful people, um, which brings me up to a challenge. <laughs> As any world or any community might, um, this community I'm talking about of educators, of, of activists, of counselors um, has some challenges. Um, As any other community might there are challenges with uh diversity challenges with privilege challenges with um understanding of of perspective um challenges of awareness you know and it sometimes gets frustrating to navigate those challenges to have those conversations um you know people can sometimes be in a space and I've found this um, happen, for example, in grad school. And, you know, I'm going through a graduate social work program where one might think, you know, the people in that program, you know, at a minimum, you know, we're learning some things. We're, we're trained to be social workers. So on the one hand, we're trained to have an understanding of all people, of sort of all perspectives, of all backgrounds. And you would think that you're surrounded by people that have a basic understanding of certain things, not realizing that everybody suffers from their biases and everybody suffers from their ignorances. And you can hear some really ignorant shit come out of the mouths of people who are studying social work or people who are social workers. You know, just because we have actively chosen a career in this field and have trained in it um, and, and have been exposed to some things that most people wouldn't be exposed to doesn't mean we're perfect. You know, and myself included, I'm sure I've got my biases. I have to be aware of the fact that as someone who's studying social work, I'm moving into a world that is a helping profession, is one of the least respected and least paid of the three major helping, helping professions, the other two being nursing and teaching. Um, and that uh, social work as a helping profession is largely female, um, so that I am a rarity um, in my in, in the in the industry in general, but particularly like in my, for example, in the cohort that I'm in, my current cohort, cohort, the group of people that I started this program with and that will probably, if we all graduate together, will graduate together at the same time, is made up of about 30 people, uh, two men out of that 30, and I'm the only man of color. Um, and so it's it's interesting to be yet another minority in this field. Um, but even you know the field of social work, for example, has its challenges with um, bias, with racism, with sexism, with misogyny, which is kind of ironic when you consider it's by far mostly women, and yet um, it's the women are not always people in power necessarily. 
uh, and rarely do you see women of color in, in um, places of uh, power or privilege. Like, for example, they may be social workers, but are they social work administrators? Are they PhD educators? Are they, you know, uh, uh, directors of a department, you know, uh, endowed chairs, um, deans, things like that in social work education fields? <laughs> so anyway, that that's just an example of social work where you will have, uh, you know, social work is an example where you will have an industry that is mostly for example, made up of women, um, and yet the women don't always hold the power. It's interesting, as I'm saying this, that's kind of like the, the NFL that I talked about in previous weeks. The NFL is made up of 70% black people, but um, the most visible positions of power uh, in the NFL are n by no means black. 32 teams, five uh, starting quarterbacks in the NFL are black. Very, I think there's only two head coaches, only one GM, and none of the owners. So the people in power aren't black, even though 70% of the players in the NFL are black. Um, it, it's obvious that there's a barrier to that level of achievement. Um, but I'm talking particularly about the sex positive community, this educator community, this traveling community that mostly kind of hits a circuit. We do conferences and conventions, although it's been a challenge in the year 2020 with all of the um, uh, basically lack of travel and of going anywhere because of uh, the current global pandemic due to the coronavirus that we've all um, had to endure and deal with. So uh, many of the uh, conferences and conventions that I was scheduled to uh, appear at, to teach at, have been canceled, uh, postponed. Some of them have tried to occur online, um, but haven't been able to, you know, to, to really go forward. Uh, I usually have a pretty busy spring and summer schedule because of that. Um, and even leading up into the fall, um, I was able to go to um, one particular conference uh, back in February, right before the pandemic sort of slammed America. But, um, and it's interesting that I bring that one up because that's where a lot of what I'm about to talk about next kind of came about <laughs> there, but also online, the challenges in this, edu this uh, field of sex positive sex educators has been the challenges you would see anywhere else. Um, it may sound like some sort of progressive utopia where we talk about things intellectually as people who are, are either academics or who pay attention to these things and who are really being straightforward and honest. And the reality is it suffers from all the other blindnesses, all the other uh, inherent systemic um, sort of prejudices and it has the biases, it has racism, it has sexism. Um, there's even homophobia, transphobia. Um, there's totally uh, a lack of understanding of um, people who are neurodiverse in many cases, who are, who just, you know, are other able, you know, who, who have disabilities hidden or, or prevalent or, you know, noticeable as far as disabilities. And it's become more so, I would say in the last, two or three years, especially since I've been involved, more of an issue where the glaring sort of um, fallacies, I guess, not fallacies, more of the problems are more glaring because they stand out and they stand out in stark contrast to what would otherwise be a very sort of progressive, open-minded, forward-thinking sort of community or, or subset of people where there's these same things happening. Um, more importantly, they've come up recently and there's just been flat out erasure of um diversity among this this 
field of educators, of sex-positive educators, of, of, of sex-positive therapists, of people who advocate or, uh, or are activists, um, where they're just not seen or heard. And there's been a challenge, a real push to put an end to that, which is why I'm talking about that today, because I'm going to be making an announcement here, probably in the next segment, uh, about that. But let me tell you a little bit about some of the problem. Um, well, I've just told you about kind of what the problem is, but let me tell you how it's manifest. Um, it has come about in ways that you might imagine, I would say by accident. I, I, I try to assume positive intention and never think that somebody is purposely leaving folks out, but they do. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, in fact, the idea that I'm coming up, that I have now that I came up with a while back, started because of something that happened on social media. Essentially what went down was um, a, and I'm not going to name this organization uh, because they're a well-known one and there's no point in giving them the clicks and whatnot, um, but a well-known organization that services um, these communities, I'm talking about these sex positive communities of either, you know, uh, sex educators or non-monogamous folks or, you know, kinky folks or some sort of alt relationship uh, posted online in various social media platforms a list of sex educators that people must follow. Uh, and I forget how many, I think the list was 25. And it was a largely very white list. Um, not everybody in the list was white, but most of them. It featured a lot of people, um, a lot of women, uh, because this field is um, largely white women. For example, if you were to look up, if somebody woke up one day and decided, hey, I want to go learn more about polyamory or non-monogamy. In fact, I had somebody who I consider a colleague and a friend recently um, uh, tell me that they needed to learn more about that so they could you know, help out somebody they were working with. Um, and I suggested I have a reading list that I share with people um, all about uh, polyamory and non-monogamy, various sources you can look at. Well, if you look at that list, it is largely made up of white women. Um, there are some white men in there too, but it's largely made up of white women. There are very few uh, published authors in this realm who talk about non-monogamy, who talk about uh, polyamory, anything like that, who are people of color. Uh, there's one notable one, um, but for the most part, it is not something that many authors of color um, whether they be male or female, have written about or rather have been published about. There is quite a bit of talk about it. There are quite a few educators that I know of who are people of color. And there are educators of color out there, a bunch of them, as a matter of fact, uh, some of whom I'm, I consider friends uh, and colleagues, all of them. Um, but the list that was posted by this organization was largely white and largely made up of famous white people that... Um, are already well-known or already wealthy who are published authors. Many of them are published authors with uh, multiple writing credits. They probably have a standard writing gig. They might have their own podcast. Um, they're well-known in this realm. You know, these are the names that are pretty much the go-to when people ask about this. And it didn't really feature anybody or, or very few people of color, one or two that might've been quote unquote acceptable. Like you might have, for example, um, a relatively well-known educator who is a woman of color, but she's a very, very light-skinned woman of color um, and often kind of describes herself as the right shade of brown. Um, and so in other words, this list was posted and it was very much a white list. It was very much a, hey, here are 25 people you must follow, but most of them are white. And if you were to look at it, someone from the outside looking in might look at that and think, wow, are there just no 
black or you know some other sort of uh, ethnicity educators of color in this realm do they not have sexuality do they not teach and the answer is yes we do yes there are those educators yes we're there we just don't get listed we don't have podcasts we don't have companies and sponsors um, who pay for us to to have our podcast to have websites we don't have long-standing gigs as advice columnists we're not coastal elites but we are there and there was the quite the social media uproar uh that happened because of this quite a few of us you know complained you know loudly uh, or rather snapped back and said look you know this is a very very white list why is this going on um and like any other time whenever i try to challenge people on their biases or how they don't realize they're being exclusive i challenge it in a way that one lets people know that i'm not happy like i don't come out of the gate mean and angry and extremely attacking but i do try to let people know hey this is what has happened and this is how this feels like we're not being heard and i try to give them the opportunity to respond in a way that shows me that they are open to learning more and they're going to try and do better this particular organization stayed silent for a while and then got defensive and for me the moment someone gets defensive when being called out or in uh on something like that is when I start to shut down because what that tells me is you're more interested in not being wrong or rather in being right than in actually being open and inclusive. In other words, you don't want to hear what I have to say when I tell you this harms me because of the way you did this. You're more interested in you feeling like you are either a good person or you've done things right or whatever excuse you have to tell me that my experience isn't what I'm experiencing, but that I just don't understand or I'm getting it wrong. Um, as though you have the right to tell me what my experience is. And so that happened here and it, it caused a huge sort of uproar, uh, a blow up with a lots of back and forth that lasted for several days. Um, this was over the summer about two years ago uh, on social media. I realize I'm being vague, but I'm trying to leave names out as much as possible. So this kind of started in my mind a movement um, and then subsequent uh, interactions have caused this movement to get to the point of where I am now. And I'm going to take a quick break here, get myself some water, and then tell you um, what happened next. So I'll be right back after a little break. Okay, thanks for coming back to the podcast. Let me uh, continue with the story. So, like I said, that particular organization had whitelisted um, basically the industry. It had listed a bunch of people uh, in this industry of sex positive um, educators and, you know, left out a whole bunch of people, left out a significant number of people. And um, they posted on various forms of social media. And uh, those of us in the industry, um, who pay attention to these things, noticed it and kind of clapped back at them. Um, that particular organization stayed quiet for a while, but the conversation kind of continued on. Yet another organization kind of ended up being drawn into the conversation and saying, hey, you know, sorry. Um, actually, they didn't say sorry, but they were like, hey, you know, we just kind of um, post and use the names of people we know of, you know, and we're not aware that we were excluding anybody. Um, the response to which was, well, then the list needs to be called, you know, 25 
educators that we know, not the ones that you must follow, because what you're saying is that you are intentionally, not intentionally, but that you are excluding people of color. Um, and again, this went back and forth for a while. Um, and eventually what happened was um, I actually got a little mad. Like I, I, I wasn't actively engaged in the conversation until it kept doing this back and forth thing where these organizations that had basically whitelisted weren't paying attention. They weren't listening to those of us who weren't being heard. Uh, for the most part, they're being kind of defensive. And at one point they flat out said, well, listen, you know, we aren't aware of, you know, um, educators in this space who are people of color, who are maybe, you know, more queer or something like that. And I got pissed off because this was literally, this literally happened uh, a couple weeks after a uh, major conference, which is um, put on by a good friend of mine, Ruby Bowie Johnson, um, that where she has a conference full of people who are sex positive, non-monogamous, uh, in which she centers uh, black uh, people of color, indigenous, queer, other able, disabled, and neurodivergent people as her presenters. Um, the one that I attended, um, all the keynote speakers were presenters. Uh, I'm correction. There was one who wasn't, but it was uh, somebody who was actually a queer person, and I believe uh, trans identified. So um, I basically posted the name of that conference and said, listen, we literally weeks ago just had a conference where there was an entire hotel full of us, full of people who are black, are a uh, uh, other forms of, of POC are identify as queer or trans are other able to know divergent. What you're saying when you say you're not aware is that you haven't bothered to fucking look because we aren't hard to find. We were literally all basically filling up an entire, almost an entire hotel in a major US city at a conference that was heavily advertised and put out nationwide. Uh, the organizer of that particular conference even said she had reached out to some of these organizations asking if they would be willing to sponsor and they turned her down. At that, one of these organizations flat out said, you know what, we apologize, you're right, we hear you. They apologized for their essential blind spot and committed to doing better. The other organization didn't. Um, and it was one of those things where anytime marginalized groups are saying you are not hearing us you are not seeing us you are erasing us uh eventually what this second organization who did acknowledge that did was what um i always prefer they do one acknowledge that people are pointing out that you have harmed them when the response is defensiveness what you're saying is you're, you're basically ignoring what they're saying saying i don't want to hear your complaints i just want to explain to you how you're wrong which is the problem that that's when people who are in positions of privilege or power, they would rather explain why they're not wrong than actually understand that, listen, if someone says you're hurting them, you're hurting them. Whether or not you intended to doesn't really matter, um, but your actions tell a lot. You know, you don't want to bother to listen to understand how you're harming people. What you want to do is basically not be wrong. And uh, but they committed to doing that. And these were some other conversations. So that was two summers ago. That was the summer of 2018. Last year, <laughs> yet another organization, and this is a trade magazine that um, uh, basically it's a magazine that uh, is used as a trade magazine among retailers and organizations outfits that sell various home intimacy and sex novelties. So your sex toy store, your dealer shop, things like that. Um, and apparently they have awards every year for various people. 
And one of the categories of their awards is the best sex educator of the year. Well, last summer they posted their nominees, uh, 10 of them. Uh, nine out of the 10 were white. There was only one, um, I think, remotely queer person, uh, at correction, trans person, at correction. There were two trans people, but one non-white person who was, uh, I believe, a trans person based out of uh, uh, Colorado, and then another white trans male, and everybody else was white females. And at this point, I respond to this. Let me get this straight. There's an organization or a, a set of awards, nominees for the best sex educators, 10 names, um, nine of them white, not a single black person. And my, I think I literally used the phrase sounds about white. Now, here's what happened in the response to that tweet. Now, mind you, this is my tweet. Um, the organization who actually did the nominations, actually, I don't know who it is. Again, it's a magazine. But the publisher of the magazine didn't respond to my tweet. He DM'd me. He messaged me directly, privately. Pay attention to what I just said. The tweet where they nominated a whole bunch of white people and one um, a, a Latinx appearing person um, and where I tweeted sounds about white, they nominated publicly. But when I called out their list publicly, the response was to message me directly and basically said something to the effect of, if you don't understand our nominating process, call me at this number, I'd be happy to elucidate you. What I did is went back public and said, fuck you, no. No, colonizer, I'm not going to have a nice private conversation where you can manipulate my words or not have this discussion uh, private or publicly and whatnot, and then pretend like we we're all friends uh, uh, publicly. I'm not going to do this. Let's go behind closed doors and have a conversation where we can hash this out and then come up. And I'm, no, I'm not going to do that. You were bold enough to go out there and put your extremely white list out in public. I'm going to need you to explain yourself out in public. When I refused to respond to him privately, he later took to trying to call me out publicly. Basically said something like, if you're not willing to respond and have a, a quote unquote civil conversation and don't get me started on colonizers using the fucking word civil, civilization is basically the excuse that all white people in history have ever used for colonization. Literally, civilization is how they justified enslavement of an entire race of people. Civilization is how they justified taking land from indigenous uh, uh, populations because they consider themselves more civil. So civil is just a term that colonizers, most of the time white people, put upon themselves to make them feel superior to somebody else. So when you message me and say, well, if you can't be civil, my response is no, fuck you. You're not going to define what is civil, basically. In other words, you're not going to define how I'm allowed to communicate and then tell me if I'm not going to communicate the way you want me to, you're going to refuse to listen to me. So what he did, again, after publicly nominating a whole bunch of white people, when I called out his list publicly, tried to privately goad me into a conversation under his terms where I called him, spoke to him privately, which I refused to do. Then he tried to call me out publicly for not being civil privately. And I'm like, no, fuck that. You're going to need to do your shit in public. So, and that's what I did. I was like, uh-uh, you know, no, I'm not going to pull that colonizers game where we go behind closed doors and have a conversation so that you can try to spin it and make yourself look, um, you know, squeaky clean publicly. I need you to do this, you know, privately. And no, I'm not going to fall for that. And no, you're not going to dictate how I speak to you. I have every right to call out what I'm looking at. You just listed 
10 sex educators, nine of whom were white, not a single black person. I'm sorry, that's exactly what you did. Out of 10 people, you couldn't find a single person who was black, which tells me you have no interest in doing so. What was interesting about that is that became another big blow up. And the one white trans male in the group um, tried to also have a private conversation with me and whatnot and try to act like he was my friend. And I wouldn't go there either because it's another problematic person. But again, it was another white list. Uh, ultimately, what happened is a well-known, famous white female um, sex educator wrote an open letter to the sex educator industry um, in which she called upon the nominees uh, on that list of 10 to volunteer to opt out of the nomination in order to you know, make, I guess, uh, bring awareness to the fact that there were not people of color and um, other marginalized uh, uh, voices being recognized by this list. She published that in multiple places uh, on social media where sex educators could see it. What's interesting there is that no one, not a single person, responded to her open letter to the industry. They just all got quiet. Eventually, the award was uh, given uh, whenever they had their awards. The person who won was a white female, a well-known white female. I think she was a, a famous porn star. And that woman volunteered to actually basically she refused to accept it she was grateful but said i refuse to accept it and the reason why is because marginalized voices aren't being heard so ultimately my calling out of it of the white list got through to some people but again they didn't uh volunteer to opt out of the nomination she just once uh being chosen as their winner uh, refused to accept the award. And actually that person did uh, message me directly and essentially said, hey, I appreciate you calling, you know, awareness of this. Um, so that made me feel good. Somebody was listening, all right? But again, that's two summers in a row in which people of color who are in this industry, who work in this industry, have been whitelisted, have been erased, have been ignored, have been talked down to, have had colonization run all up over us as though our sexuality doesn't exist or doesn't matter, as though there aren't black sex educators out there, as though we aren't on social media, as though there wasn't an entire conference full of us, as though some of us, uh, I don't do it full time, but there are those that do, that are very good and well-known and are good at their jobs and have regular customers and, 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 and do this stuff full time as though they're not out there and they're hard to be found, um, which isn't the case. Again, a good friend of mine has an entire list of them um, on social media. And it's amazing to me that, again, these colonizers or these, you know, white people in this industry just act like they just don't see that there are black people out there or they put up a list of 25 people and it doesn't occur to them that I think maybe one of them might have been black or they can put up the 10 best and just not notice. Well, if they either have the privilege of not noticing or their blindness is another privilege that they have. And then when you call them on it, um, they don't want to acknowledge it. They basically want to talk you out of it or try to pull this colonizers trick where we're going to say something privately that we're not going to say publicly type stuff. So um, this type of thing leaves a foul taste in my mouth. So that was two summers in a row. All right. This summer, the one I'm speaking in now, the year 2020, different shit has happened. This summer is a little bit different uh, because of a man named George Floyd. And suddenly, Many of the issues that have come up that people like myself and others have been talking about, you know, either privately or publicly for years about the way 
black people in our existence or people of color in general are treated, erased, ignored, how the things we say are basically blown over, how people just tell me that my experience isn't true or that the things I'm looking at or have gone through aren't really what they seemed. Um, I've literally been gaslighted by an, an entire fucking society. And um, now our entire society watched a black man be brutally murdered directly in front of us while other cops stand around watching. Um, and it's amazing to me, the George Floyd situation, because it is so blatant and so brutal that um, well-known conservative, you know, fuck all them black people uh, type uh, um, um, outlets and personalities have called it murder. When Rush Limbaugh says that this man was murdered by a cop, you know something is seriously turned. It's like the world upside down. So now people are, for some reason, and by people I mean white people, are suddenly, now there are more of them kind of on board with the, hey, maybe black people aren't being treated right. Maybe there's something to this. Suddenly there's this wave of anti-racism. And on the one hand, I consider it a positive thing. On the other hand, deep down, there's a part of me that wants to scream into what's obviously going to be a void. What the fuck took you all so long? Why did he have to be the one to die in order for suddenly there to be some awareness? And not just here in the U.S., worldwide. Anytime you've got a, a, a Scottish representative of, of, of member of parliament, of the, of the British parliament, flat out using the phrase Black Lives Matter on the floor of parliament in the face of the prime minister, something significant has happened. So, yeah. This time it's a little bit different. And what's happened is there have been within my industry, in the sex industry, I've seen at least three different examples of mostly white or all white people trying to do the right thing and white people in themselves all over it. They have either found a way to ignore, exclude, or erase black people while talking about racism. They have either decided that they know the best way to talk about and help heal racism and have ignored or not even bothered to get uh, the voices of people who are black involved, or they have just decided that they're smarter than everybody else and they know what they're gonna do. I know how to fix it. One of them is an organization that um, prides itself on being able to talk about consent and was gonna do a, a whole consent panel without actually engaging people who are black and they're gonna charge for it to use their model of something to talk about race and racism. Folks, I'm a black consent educator. Nobody asked me. <laughs> they could have, but they didn't. Uh, nobody asked. They just know that they're going to go help people talk about race and racism. And I mean, think of how utterly ridiculous it is. That's like me as a man, having never been through any form of abuse or difficulty, deciding I'm going to explain um, the best way to talk about rape and women being raped. And I hate to bring up something so sensitive, but that's how utterly ridiculous it is. I can talk about consent because my consent's being violated. I won't talk about what happens when a woman is attacked by a male because I don't know anything about that. I know consent and consent violations, and I can talk about my pillars of consent, but I can't do that. I can't speak to that experience. So I can speak vaguely or generally. But to say I know how to fix this problem, to, as for white people to just decide they know how to help people fix the problem of racism is amazing to me. Now, I am one of those people that will say white people need to be the ones who are actively working to combat systemic racism. 
but they need to check in with people who have been victims of systemic racism since before they were born. You don't just wake up as a white person, decide you're a good white person and go fix something you've never fucking experienced. It is patently insane on the face of it. And yet this is exactly what has happened. In my own industry, this is exactly what has happened. This has happened in the sex educator community. This has happened where certain um, sex educators have just decided they're gonna start talking about that. Some of them have been teaching um, uh, quote unquote, what they call anti-racism to white people for years, you know, and I actually watched someone who is a well-known um, educator who's been teaching anti-racism for years, suddenly in this moment where we're all talking about things and suddenly race and racism and systemic racism is a conversation we're having, I've watched one of them go through talking about how they're going to talk about that and put some things out there. And when someone did a call out to them or a call in and said, how much are you charging people to talk about race and racism when you haven't actually checked to see or held yourself accountable to any people of color and whatnot, you know, and when someone called them out and realized that when you're erasing the voices of black people while talking about racism, which mostly harms black people and other people of color, do you realize that that is some harmful shit? And this person's response was to get angry, get fragile and shut off the conversation. I've seen this happen multiple times. No kidding folks in the last couple of weeks, so what I did two years ago, uh, two summers ago, um, again, this is the third summer, so actually it's almost three now, but what I did in the summer of 2018 was I got pissed off and I started jotting down some notes about an idea that I had, but I kind of kept it to myself. I, I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this shit. We need to find a way to not be whitelisted again. I'm tired of this. This is stupid. This is dumb. This is bullshit. We exist in this space. We exist in this industry. We have the right to talk. And these white people are literally tripping all over themselves to be good white people. And they are flat out fucking it up on a regular basis. And we're right here. It's not like they don't see us or we're hidden or we just aren't there. We're right here. We're right in front of them. We are next to them at the same conferences. We go to the same conferences, the same conventions. We have the same conversations. We follow each other on social media and they are not paying attention. They're not talking to us. They're not listening. Or they act extremely stupid when someone calls them on the fact that they are not including people of color, um, uh, black people, indigenous folks, queer identified, trans identified, neurodiverse or other abled people who are chronically ill. And every one of those groups I just mentioned exists in the sex positive educator community. So I got into my mind, hmm. And I'm always the creative person that likes to try to remember things. I'm like, it's like this is this one whole industry. It's not just a community, it's an industry. Because there are people who work in this and work in it full time. I don't do it full time, but I do work in it. Um, I haven't made a lot of money in it, but I am getting some notoriety in it. And it is bringing me to be able to do things. Um, so it's an industry that we work in. Well, what is this industry called, right? And I, it, genius that I am, came up with this little acronym that I call SPACE. S-P-A-C-E, the sex, positive, activists, counselors, and educators industry. That's what we are. We're the space industry. And I spell space S-P-A-C-E as an acronym. So there's a period behind any one, which is ironic because I live in Houston, not far from NASA. And I'm not talking about that space industry. We're not concerned with going to Mars. We're concerned with educating people right here. Okay. So it's the space industry. And I thought about there's got to be a way to make sure that in this industry, marginalized people are seen and heard. That was the idea that I came up with. And I 
thought about it, played with it, you know, figured out, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. But then it kept on happening. It happened the following summer. It happened this summer. And I'm at the point now where I'm literally so mad that I'm not keeping this to myself anymore. This is going to be shared. I wrote up some documents of what I'm going to call, um, again, the space industry and particularly space force. And right now, bear with me, but I'm going to read some of this stuff to you because this is what's going on. This is what came out of me in reaction to this. All right. So number one, some of the founding documents. Here's the concern. And, and I write that the concern is that the sex positive community uh, suffers from the same marginalization, minority invisibility and lack of access as the whole of society. But non-white LGBTQIA 2SP plus other able neurodiverse neurodivergent folks are sexy. We are sex positive. We enjoy relationships. We express ourselves through relationships and through sexuality. And we have much to offer in these spaces. Our voices are not heard. Our bodies are not seen and our desires are not shared. The sexuality of uh, marginalized folks is not recognized. And I decided to create an organization that I'm calling the Space Force. Space always capitalized, S-P-A-C-E. And uh, our vision is that we are going to seek to create a world in which spacers, that are the people who are gonna to belong to this organization that I've created, in which spacers are celebrated and cared for so that we can change lives for the better without our identities being further marginalized. Here is the mission statement. We seek to create a world in which sex positive activists, counselors, and educated are celebrated and cared for always so that we continue to create a safe space and pleasure and a pleasurable society by teaching and encouraging healthy, safe, and consensual sexuality, expression, and relationships without various identities being further marginalized. That is the goal of this organization that I created. This is my brainchild. And again, for the longest time, I've held it to myself because I was trying to sort of congeal or, or, or solidify the vision I had for it and what I wanted it to do. And I know what I wanted to do and I've got plans to do so. Uh, but for the longest time, it's just been mostly my idea. I might've shared with one or two people. Well, I'm not keeping it to myself anymore. I've gotten pissed off to the point where now I'm moving forward. Okay. I've gotten mad enough to decide that, you know what, this can't be held, held quiet anymore because people are not fucking listening. We're sitting right in front of them. We're sitting next to them. I spoke to some of these people when they came to me and told me they were going to educate about racism and anti-racism in our community. And they went and did it. And literally less than a year later, I see them go from zero to full tilt Becky on social media and pull white fragility and, 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 and cry white tears and good at, get upset at this time, at this moment, when we're all experiencing a new interest, if you will, in in uh, uh, race relations, in this understanding of anti-racism, while we're all also trying to endure a fucking global pandemic. I watched this happen and people are not listening to us. So I'm talking. So my organization will be called Space Force, space spelled again, capital S period, capital P period, capital A period, capital C period, capital E period. Space is in the space, sex positive activists, counselors, and educators industry. And we are going to be um, activists. We're going to be people who are going to work to lift up the voices of the marginalized in this industry. We're going to uh, work to be heard. We're going to seek each other out when we go to conferences and conventions, when we're able to do that again. Many of the conferences and conventions I was planning on going to this year have been canceled because of the global pandemic. So we've got to survive that first. 
but I define the space industry as the industry that encompasses people, places, and events where sex-positive activist counselors and educators work, meet, and collaborate. Spacers are going to be the informal name of the collective group of sex-positive activist counselors and educators. People, particularly who I will call members of Space Force, will be active members and contributors to this organization. They are the body of people who will be dedicated to acknowledging, promoting, and recognizing marginalized spacers within our industry. I even gave myself the title of Supreme Spacer, which is the title given to the founder and CEO of the organization, as well as the commander in chief of Space Force. That is me. I am the first <laughs> and current Supreme Spacer. Now, does this sound like a little bit of arrogance? Sure, it's my organization, but I've got people who are doing this with me. I've got friends who are on board and now I'm moving forward. So I'm calling out now, by the way, anytime any gathering of three or more spacers um, of, who are meeting for the purpose of connection, collaboration, education, edification, or activism, uh, it will be referred to as an intersectional space station. Uh, and it can occupy any type of uh, in real life meet space, take place online, via phone, or any other virtual or real-time connection. In other words, when uh, multiple spacers get together, particularly when there's three or more, by definition, we're going to call it an intersectional space station. So if there are those of you out there that consider yourself spacers or at least um, supportive of spacers, this very well may be an intersectional space station. But we are going to work towards intersectionality. We're going to work towards making sure these faces uh, are seen and heard. So what I'm doing is going to start actually moving forward. This is no longer uh, an idea or a brainchild that very few people are going to know about. Right now, at this moment, I am putting it on this podcast that will be published for people to hear and see. And if you're interested and want to know more, I'm going to invite you to contact me. I'm going to give um, my email address and my uh, um, Twitter account here later on uh, in just a few minutes uh, because this thing is moving forward. Uh, be looking soon. I'm probably going to start uh, something like a GoFundMe or an Indiegogo to raise a few funds because there's things I want to do, like hire a marginalized sex educator who I actually have in mind. I actually have a couple of them in mind who are going to do things like um, uh, help us divine, uh, design a logo, get some T-shirts made so that we can sell them and then be visible when we do gather at various intersectional space stations like conferences, like conventions. Uh, I might even start another website. Uh, it may even have a spinoff podcast, but this is the organization that I'm going to be moving forward with because this shit's got to stop. And again, the way to get me to do something is to piss me off. I went from um, thought to idea phase to drawing up a couple of things and keeping them to themselves. Now I'm publicizing it. The intersectional space force is a real thing. My beloved organization that I have created is a real thing and is moving forward. And for those of you who are hearing my voice, who have helped me with this idea and have encouraged me to move forward, thank you. I'm going to need you even more in the future. Um, but yeah, and if those of you who are, are listening to this and are interested, want to learn more or um, are wanting to say, hey, Zach, I'm on board. How can I help? Let me tell you. Number one, you can email me directly. Uh, and for right now, my email address is the letter Z, I-N-V-I-C-T-U-Z at gmail.com. That's Z Invictus with a Z on the end at gmail.com. Or uh, DM me on my Twitter account, which is at the word black underscore and sexgeek.com. Make sure you use the underscore or else you'll get my good friend Ruby. That's at black underscore sexgeek.com. I will do my best to put that in the show notes. Reach out to me, folks. Space Force is real. It is needed. It's time has come, and I'm just pissed off enough to make it another revolution. The space industry, the sex-positive activists, counselors, and educators industry cannot 
be as bad as the whole of society. We have to be better. And I'm going to hold this industry to a better standard because I believe there are enough people in this industry that want better for all people of marginalized identities. This has been Zach, your resident angry black man coming to you live from my Zach cave here in the heart of the capital of the ABM nation. Thank you folks for listening to yet another of my rants. Uh, I'm going to sign off for now. Do keep in mind as always that Zach lives matter. Thank you.